uh, world class. You've gone with three up front. Delicht, delight. Ajax overturned the champs. Class of 2019, Ole's Reds bedevil the Parisians. And he do run, run, run. Cristiano engages God mode and takes his old lady on a date with the quarterfinals. We're talking Champions League last 16, guys. And I'm here with my man, Nick, and my other man, Tom. How's it going, boys? Great, but honestly, I think better than Ronaldo's performance is your intros. You know what I mean? You're like a fine wine. You get better and you age as you age. A much better hat trick than Ronaldo's hat trick, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, that's, that, that was a little... Uh... I was a little underhand, but I'll take the compliment. I feel I'll, I'll be I'll be jumping to uh, defend Cristiano's honor later on. Uh, but man, what a week, guys! We we just got through. Uh, we're actually recording here on Wednesday evening. Um, the last of the last sixteen games have just been played, so we barely squeezed in highlights of uh, the Barcelona and, and the Liverpool Bayern game. So we will talk about those, but not in very much detail. Uh, because we've only just seen just a few highlights. But what we did do is uh, keep a very keen eye on the games that we mentioned off the top there. And we're just going to dive right into it. Okay, boys. Up first, we are going to talk about Ajax and Real Madrid. Wow, this absolutely has to be the the story of the round. This has to be the story of the round of 16. and Maybe one of the greatest stories in the Champions League that I can remember seeing in, in the past little bit. Boys, can you remember a greater upset than this? Or more exciting upset? Or or maybe an underdog that we've wanted to win so much? I remember a couple of upsets, but not not that not that big. You know, when you think about the Liverpool Milan AC, you know, comeback and, you know, upset in some sense, or the Manchester United nineteen ninety nine comeback and win, you know, but this this was you know, it had it had the perfect David against Goliath kind of story, right? It had the uh, the, the defending champ, the, the young squad of Ajax. So it was, it, was, it was a phenomenal game. Yeah, no, I don't feel like it. It's funny, Tommy. You go straight to comebacks. Like I remember comeback. Like the first thing that comes in my head is Liverpool AC. Uh, but I don't think I remember. I don't think I remember anything quite so upsetting as this. You know, this is like. The ch- the champions three times in a row champions, and we're talking about an Ajax side that, while certainly gifted with bags of young talent and playing some exciting football, to to do what they did and and overturn the mighty Real Madrid. I don't I don't quite think I've seen anything on a par with this certainly in recent memory. Listen, gentlemen, I think we should kind of uh, set set the tone for it now. We're actually referring back to. Ajax beating Real Madrid 4-1. That's 5-3 on aggregate. For those of you who haven't heard our, our previous episode, European episode with Gareth and ourselves, we go over round one in detail. And we're going to kind of take the same structure. But before I, I start breaking down the game play-by-play play and try to understand what really went wrong with Real Madrid, let's start from the beginning, gentlemen. Let's talk about Real Madrid. They lined up in their 4-3-3. But here's the thing. I got a question for you, Tom. Once again, Bale is on the bench. Someone of his caliber, someone who has brought you know, uh, Real Madrid through Champions League finals, and some might say even have won it for them. What, do you, what are your thoughts on having the big gun like him on the bench? Well, look, I think, I think Bale is definitely, uh, you know, uh, he, they, they paid a lot of money for him, so they expected him to produce uh, his, as you mentioned, Nick, I think uh, the last couple of, 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 of trophies they've won thanks to his goals or thanks to, thanks to him. Uh, he's he, in his mind, he's delivered. 
But the problem with Bale is that he's he's made out of crystal. He's always injured. He's never at 100%. And, and I don't know if he was actually at 100% coming into this game. Uh, and then Solari, you know, had to make him play. I think, I, I forgot who was injured. Someone was injured and he he, he stepped on the pitch. I think it was Vinicius or some, oh, Lucas Vasquez, I think one of the two there, uh, who was injured. But he stepped in. But you expect him to, to show up in these kind of games. And he didn't. He didn't. He's, he's very polarizing right now in the club. Uh, you know, they're, they're, I think the locker room is somewhat divided on him. I think that the fans are pretty much divided, if not pretty much against him. The, uh, the locker room calls him. I think there's a nickname for him. They call him the golfer because he spends more he spends more time on the golf course and just not doing doing taking care of hobbies more than playing soccer right now. So he's not he he's tempted not on the pitch with a I don't think with a proper mindset to to, to score as a player. Yeah, my take on Bale is first of all, you know, he's, he's just got a great name, doesn't he? Gareth. I mean, it's a strong name. I, I feel like anybody called Gareth is just naturally a fantastic footballer or football coach. I think I'll agree on that. Uh, listen, in all seriousness, uh, I, I get a lot of time for Gareth Bale. I'm a quarter Welsh, about a quarter Welsh. So, you know, I, I, I have a lot of respect for him and I'm definitely a fan. I don't, I, I think part of the problem with Bale since he went to Real Madrid, when he went to Real, you kind of saw him sort of start hulking up and, you know, really kind of putting himself on the Ronaldo diet. I, I think he's an amazing athlete. I don't know if he's, a, I don't know if anybody's really a Ronaldo level athlete. And I just wonder sometimes, I don't want to get too much into it because it has been talked about many, many times. But I feel like he's almost like pushed himself maybe a little too far physically. Like, I don't know if that's a natural thing for him. When you compare like his body shape uh, to uh, when he was, you know, really doing well at, at Tottenham before he moved to Real and kind of the sort of hulking muscles that he's put on. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure that that's always a great thing. And I feel like part of that has always been this sort of trying to live up to that price tag and, you know, trying to be the next Ronaldo. Now Ronaldo moves on. And it's like, okay, over to you, Gareth Bale. But I, Bale was never Ronaldo. And I don't think Bale will ever be Ronaldo. Uh, and, you know, I think I, I just wish Bale could just be Bale. And I don't think he's, you know, I think there was a lot of pressure. And he probably put a bit of that on himself as well with some of the comments that he made after Zidane left, which will sort of come to, you know, what his future might look like in a, in a Zidane returning Real. I'm sure you guys have some opinions on that. But I just feel like sometimes, you know, perhaps he's putting pressure on himself or pressure's coming from outside for him to, you know, be that Ronaldo-type character in that team. And, uh, I, I, you know, I think if that pressure wasn't there and he was just allowed to be a good player, then, you know, we might see, we might see more from him. We might see him on the field a bit more. That's kind of my take on it. Listen, gentlemen, no, that, that, that's good. But I don't want to spend too much time on, on, on just Bale himself because... There's so many more moving parts to this game. So let's talk about Ajax from the beginning. They set up also in their famous 4-3-3. Listen, what is interesting is this front three with the false nine system that with Tadic plays, which actually he's said before the game in an interview that he hates playing this false nine. He'd rather play that number 10, the more creative role. But I got to tell you, gentlemen, we're picking up exactly on the themes that we left off last time, that fluidity of the front three, right? Just that interchanging and the, the, the ability to truly play this false nine system to drop and create space for one another. I mentioned Tadic. We have to take a second, gentlemen, and talk about him. He had what people are calling the perfect game. He's the ninth player ever 
to get a 10 out of 10 score from the prestigious uh, French footballing magazine Lekin. So he's amongst people like Lewandowski and Neymar and Messi, who's Messi actually is the only person to get it twice, to name a few. So so basically he contributed with you know a beautiful assist for the first goal, a great goal himself, the, 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 a beautiful ping through uh, Coltois. But most importantly, my favorite part was that Zidane turn when he was oh. surrounded. Do you guys see that? It's so fitting that was, a Zidane turn was... would be the thing that brought Zidane back. It was so good because he was going at pace too, and it was perfectly executed. And that's not an easy thing to do. We we all play football, and we know we, it's very easy to fall over and look silly doing something like that. I I I'm glad we're talking about Tadic and not Gareth Bale because Tadic is the one who deserves to be talked about. This was a world class performance, and I gotta say, guys, like when Tadic was playing for Southampton the last couple of seasons, you saw sparks of it, but you know, obviously, he wasn't playing in in as good of a team. But at the same time, I didn't really feel like Tadic was a world beater. I kind of felt like maybe he was a little bit soft, and you know, maybe he didn't always show up. Um, but I got to tell you, man, uh, that performance gave me a whole new perspective. And some of the performances he's been putting in, in fairness, this year, this year with Ajax, really, I've got Tadic looking like a hell of a signing. So as the game started, Real Madrid actually really focused on ball possession. And actually, the, the, in the first half and in the second, they had about 60% possession, which really allowed Ajax to focus on this counterattacking. But I have to tell you. All right. I don't know if it was a mix of, of of this awesome game plan that we'll go into that Ajax had, or what was blatantly obvious to even the, the the weakest football fan was Real Madrid looked so unstructured with the ball. They had 60% possession, but absolutely had no guidance. There was there was so reliant on individual players to inspire and have these 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 moments that it, it, we spoke about this last pod. Pep Guardiola spends all this time about the attacking phase, where to be to receive the pass in, in every area of the pitch, how to break the lines, how to play in, in, in those, those thirds, the final third, and in those half spaces. There was absolutely none of it. The shape was horrendous. But what was even worse, gentlemen, was how lazy Real Madrid's defensive shape was. They did not learn their lessons from the first round, and they did this lazy 1v1 man marking. But gentlemen, we talked about this first pod, uh, the last pod, when how fluid Ajax's system is. If you mark 1v1, it'll create absolute chaos, and there was no structure. If you look at almost all the goals and all the goal chances, what actually happens is that there is there is all these chances to play Ajax offside. But because you're, you're, you're man marking, the, the, the defensive line is so unstructured, and it was just it was so apparent that there was no plan and a complete breakdown. Now, listen, I don't just want to harp on Real Madrid because Ajax certainly got this right because they went back to what they do best with this high press, right? They, but this time they used a bit of a mix of a man marking and zonal marking. So what this happened is they actually created, if you pause the game at the right time, especially when Courtois has the ball, what you're going to actually notice is that there's this huge opening basically almost like a runway saying, hey, ping it long to Benz, right? They always let Benzema open while finding a way to mark the space or mark the men. So Courtois playing into that trap would play that long ball up to Benz, right? He played that long ball up to Benz. And what would happen is that Benzema would either take the ball down and be automatically swarmed by five Ajax players and lose possession, or which I really have to make a shout out that Delit, Tom, how do we say that in Dutch, my friend? 
uh, De Ligt, I think. I think it is. I'm not, I'm not Dutch. I don't speak Dutch, but that's what I heard on these uh, illegal streams that I watched there. No, De Ligt deserves all the credit in the world. This young, up-and-coming talent was just so dominant in the air. You know, winning every second ball, making Benzema's life absolutely horrendous. So this was fantastic, and Real Madrid did not adapt what. Whatsoever. What's also important to talk about is that when it comes to this high press and their trapping, on average, Ajax's men ran one kilometer each more than the Real Madrid, which is actually huge. Okay, so it's fantastic. Ajax had a fantastic game plan, but even when they had to defend, because Real Madrid's still Real Madrid, and they have enough quality to bring the ball to the final third. So even when they did that, once again, Delit was so dominant in the air. And Ajax was just so strong defensively in their own box because Real Madrid had tons of crosses this game, but they just Ajax looked so comfortable taking care of it. And gentlemen, that was my view of the game. What do you think? Uh, look, I agree with you, Nick. On, on I think on, on everything you've said. I'm not going to repeat it, but I, th I think when it comes to Real Madrid, um, as much as Ajax, as much as Ajax, uh, you know, clearly destroyed them four to one. Um, I. Uh, I'm I'm just wondering if if Real Madrid wasn't partly guilty uh, for that score in the sense that I think um, it reflected a lot on the state on the so sorry state of their defense sorry state of of the lack of team cohesiveness. Uh, I'm not saying that Ajax doesn't deserve the score doesn't deserve to to win this, but I I think the score is a bit inflated with the fact that Real Madrid had no direction had no strategy. Uh, you know, usually you see teams divided in two. You see the defensive block and then the, the strikers and no one in the middle to actually really connect both ends. In this case, there were three different parts. Uh, there was a defense. There was Cruz and Modric and Casimiro kind of just hanging out. And then Benzema was all by himself. Uh, and then let's not forget Vinicius got got injured. Uh, Lucas Vasquez got injured on the other end. Now you're going to come in with Bill and Asensio. Uh, you know Cruz and Casimiro are not the same from two, three years ago. Uh, you know, Modric, uh, you know, it, it made me laugh. And, you know, it made me it made me laugh, some of the comments he made. But we'll go back, we'll go back, I'm sure, uh, about this a bit later. Um, and I'm happy you said Modric, though, because he, uh, gold, you know, the Banal Dahl winner looked like an absolute joke with Frankie de Jong doing his future club Barcelona, an absolute pleasure by making him look like a joke. Sorry to cut you off, Tom. I just have to give props where props is due. No, exactly. And, and that, that's why I'm, I'm saying it, it made me kind of laugh because, you know, not, not only you know, Modric kind of got schooled there by, by, by Frankie de Jong, but also right before this game, he actually had made a statement. He said, you know, like, we lost Ronaldo. It's hard to find someone to score goals. We don't have goals. Uh, You know, we're struggling. That's the Ballon d'Or that's saying this, right? Like, I mean, we're not... Anyways, uh, I'm not... It doesn't sound like I'm, I'm pretty bitter about the fact that he won the Ballon d'Or. But, uh, but you know, the, the team was totally disorganized. Uh, no strategy. Solari was completely lost. And you could see it in the players. And, and I think you're 100% right on this, Nick. I, they were expecting one player to spark and just start something. And they were pretty unfortunate. They hit the post early on in the game. Remember, Varane with a header. They hit the post a couple of times, actually. So it's a bit of lack of a lack of a lack of chance with uh, a lack of team cohesiveness. It's just and let's not forget the whole Sergio Ramos, you know, uh, you know, thing about you know him getting a second yellow card and and him being in the stand and being filmed for a documentary. So, anyways, it was just uh, it's it's a mix of a lot of bad luck and a bad bad thoughts and bad planning, I would say.
it's not been real season exactly, has it? Um, you know, we've, we've talked before and we'll swing back around now and, and, and talk again about perhaps the, the, the second coming <laughs> of uh, Zinedine Zidane. But, uh, you know, when he left and, and Ronaldo went out the door too, um, that's going to leave a big hole. And I always felt like this was going to be a rebuilding season for Real. Uh, they just haven't found the answers when you get rid of one of the world's, one of the greatest of all time uh, and bring in a goalie you don't need. You're asking <laughs> for trouble. And they found trouble in spades this season. They, you know, they, they seem like they were picking it up, picking up the pace a little bit again. And it's Real Madrid, so you never kind of count them out. But you know what? At the end of the day, they've come up against a, a, an Ajax team with this, you know, I mean, boys, the history of producing players from the youth program at Ajax. Here's a few names for you. Johan Cruyff, Edwin van der Sar, uh, Frank Rijkaard, Dennis Bergkamp, Raphael van der Vaart, uh, Marco van Basten, Wesley Schneider, Martin Stekellenberg. It goes on and on and on. And again now with De Ligt and these young guys that are coming through. Uh, it just It's just such a, an amazing system that Ajax have with the youth program, the, the, the way they bring in players, you know, even from overseas, the likes of like Vertonghen and uh, Vermaelen and Aldevira, uh, who kind of came in uh, through this kind of scheme that they have where they'll bring foreign youngsters in and bring them through their youth academy and give them debuts. Uh, it's just a phenomenal system and it's still doing them proud. The thing is, you know, typically they don't hold on to those players for very long. So, you you know, Ajax will be hoping, you know, to go as far as they can uh, with this current crop. Uh, and who knows? They could surprise us again in this competition yet. I think it's fair to say, Gareth, you know what I mean, that, that, that you can't hate a club like Ajax with the history they have. Not saying Real Madrid doesn't have any history, but it's nice to see Ajax after, you know, being such a selling club and creating this young talent to once again kind of make their name on, on the big stage. But from Ajax's view back to Real Madrid, you know, this game obviously had uh, an effect on what happened next for Real Madrid. And that is Zizou's back, Tom. Yeah, Tell us what your thoughts are on that. Well, look, it's, it's pretty exciting. I think, I think it's not only this game, but it was just a horrible week that Real Madrid had, you know, with losing to, to Barcelona and just having just to you know, just lining up a bunch of losses. You know, and so so I think I think uh, it's um, it, it forced Perez to make a decision. This is this is insanity for for a club like Real Madrid to go through two three coaches within one season. Let's not forget Lopetegui uh, started the season, then uh, got got uh, got sacked. Then they brought in Solari, and then Solari, poor guy, uh, just comes in as a kind of a trying to fix things somewhat close to what uh, Solskjaer is doing with uh, with uh, Manchester United. And now he's gone after a disastrous result and now comes back Zidane. Um, what are my thoughts? I think it's phenomenal. I think it's amazing that he's back for many reasons because, A, I love him. Uh, and, if, and if I can tell him, I would literally tell him I love him. Um, but don't tell that to my wife. And the second thing also is that he came. he's coming at the right time. So he's coming. He left after winning three Champions League. He won La Liga. He won the, the he won the the, the, the Kings uh, the, the trophy, the Kings trophy. So he won it all in Spain and in Europe, and he, he won the the, world, the the club's World Cup there. And so he's leaving, knowing that he's won it all. Now somebody else came in. Somebody else had to deal with the end of a cycle, as you just mentioned, right, Gareth? 
He, yeah. They got to deal with the pressure of being a defending champ. So they, 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 they've ruined. That's ruined. That's gone. Everything's gone. So now they're in rebuild mode. And Perez, I'm sure, went up to Zizou and said, do you want to come back? And Zizou, being the smart guy that I think he is, said, okay, but I need your credit card. And I need this credit card to be unlimited so I can go on this shopping spree this summer. And I think and I, if I have a word of caution for all the other clubs in Europe, get ready to lose your players because that's what's going to happen. Real Madrid uh, is, is going to come back very hungry. Uh, their, their pride is, is, took, took a hit there, and they're going to come out with their fangs, and they're going to come out with their, with their uh, cash and get some players. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you're probably right there, Tom. I think what Real Madrid and their fans need is a bit of retail therapy now, and they're going to they're gonna want to go shopping come the <laughs> summer. Uh, Perez better, better be ready. He's going to have to take a second mortgage on that mansion, I think. Uh, but, you know, I, again, i got to come back, and it'll be talked about again later, uh, but I got to come back to Ronaldo, and you don't take a player. He's a once in a lifetime. Well, maybe you get two of them in a lifetime, in a generation. You know, player. You don't take that kind of a player out and expect to figure out, you know, how you fill that gap. When you look at the, the just the way that he carried the team in in some of those uh, those critical games, as as he's proven still capable of doing. Um, and maybe it was a masterstroke from Zizou. Maybe he was like, you know, you know, I'll, I'll just let a couple of other schmucks come in and deal with this immediate aftermath, and then I'll I'll roll back into town. Personally, though, I'm I'm a little bit nervous. I'm I'm kind of looking at it and saying, is it a mistake? Is it a case of don't return to the scene of the crime? You know, he could he could have stayed away and been guaranteed legend status forever. No, you know, nobody would ever have touched him. He runs the risk now. He gets this season's grace for sure. You know, but next season they're going to be want to be winning again, and he's going to need to be winning again fast. And it will be interesting to see if he can do that without Ronaldo. You know, we'll see who he brings in, but can he do it without Cristiano? Yeah, uh, I, I think you know what. I, I think his legend status is already in the clear. I think no matter what he does, he he will forever be a legend. I That's think cool. the advantage that he has is that while the other big clubs are still involved in Champions League and some some title races, he's got time to go and visit and to go and shop around. He's got time. He's right now he's in renovations, right? Like he's just in, relaxing. He's doing his renos. He's he's focusing on next season because when. I watched the press conference and they were asking questions. I said, okay, what are what about what about next uh, what about next this summer? What about next season? And he said, look, I have 13 games to play. That's what I'm going to focus on. And they asked Perez, Perez, uh, are you going to get Neymar or Mbappe? Are you who are you going to get? And he was like, our focus is the next 13 games of this season. And that's it because that's all they've got. And I think uh, one cup, domestic cup, they got to play. But that's it. So I, I think the message is right. I think their focus, at least publicly, is the right one. Fun fact that Perez said that if he had to choose between Mbappé and Neymar, he would go with both for both. So, but, and let's not forget that Perez is also trying to think about himself, and he wants to make sure he keeps his presidency by making the keeping the fans happy, right? And fans are disgruntled with 100 million euro bail, so he's got to go. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, Gareth, I think I think Zidane will tell Perez, look, we need to sell your your boy, okay? But <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so we'll we'll see how that goes. Who's gonna take bail though? I don't think that Bale is going to be gone. I think Bale is actually going to be Zidane's biggest challenge. He will not be gone next summer. No one's going to pay his wages. No one. He's not worth what they paid for him. Listen, Zidane's got a tough uphill battle because he's going to have to deal with Bale staying there. He's going to have to see if Isco's going to smarten up 
and have the right attitude to be the player he can be. He's going to have to, I guess, let Ramos be Ramos, maybe? Tell Marcelo to lose some weight. Mm-hmm. This is a tasty burger. You know what I mean? He's got a big challenge ahead of him, gentlemen. I don't. I wouldn't be so optimistic. You know, listen, I do think that he's the number one man manager for this club. You know what I mean, tactically, he's been okay in my opinion. But man management, he's no one else can come into this this club with all these superstars, and he's the only one bigger than them that can come in and tell them, you know, what's what. I think they respect that. But he's got a lot of quote unquote. For Tom, renovations to do. Tom, this is almost like a new bill. <laughs> I guess, but you know what? I think I, I wouldn't be. I I wouldn't be too. Uh, I wouldn't close the door too much on Bale. I think I think some clubs would line themselves up for him. I, I think about PSG that's so obsessed with with winning this Champions League that they they will buy anyone and everyone that can generate jerseys, you know, sales and you know any any promotional stuff and, and trying to win them a cup. You know, Bale has been, has been linked to Manchester United for some reason. So, uh, and, and I hope he won't go there. But you know, it's just uh, clubs like PSG and others are very hungry. You know, uh, to to win something. And I don't know how hungry Bale is, anyways. Like he's he's won Champions, he's won four Champions League already. He's 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 set. Maybe a Chinese club or somewhere in Qatar they want to pay his wages, and he'll go off. You know, and enjoy his his. Uh, is man bun? I don't know. What, it's just what's uh, what's Burnley's wage budget budget there, Gareth? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he can come to Burnley, no problem. But I, I tell you what, we we definitely can't afford him. It's true though; his options are kind of limited. I hadn't thought about it till you guys brought it up. But really, Megabooks China uh, or you know Qatar or something. Uh, other than like PSG, I could see PSG if if uh, Real go fishing for the Neymars and the Mbappes, maybe becomes a mate weight in that deal. That that wouldn't surprise me. I'm gonna throw one idea out before we move on because we're running a little over time, gentlemen. What about Bale to Juventus? Him and his buddy Rambo can both play golf all they want. You know what I mean? <laughs> Hang out with the nice Italian son. You know the greens are always good there. You know what I mean? I'm sure that uh, uh, Giggs would wouldn't mind his two homies hanging out together, going to bed <laughs> early and playing some golf. Listen, just think about it. Hashtag Gareth to Juventus. The rumor starts here. I think I'm the first guy to first guy. This is pod history, gentlemen. We are gonna break the story before it happens. Mystic <laughs> Nick is on the case. I think I think Italy would be a good fit. It would be a good pace of life for Gareth Bale. Maybe he won't get injured as much. All right, guys, we're going to move right along. We're going to fly this little uh, European uh, jet plane of ours over to uh, Gay Paris, and uh, where I uh, confidently stated a couple of weeks ago that I didn't think Manchester United, with, with all their injuries, had a cat in hell's chance of overturning a 2-0, and Tom is dancing. Uh, a 2 we got live streaming these, uh, these Skype sessions. I'm telling you, Tom, those are some... Those are some moves, man. <laughs> uh, we gotta definitely get YouTube in, guys, because this is too, this is gold. Uh, you guys need to see this. The world needs to see Tom's dance moves. Oh, no, yeah, let, listen, guys. Uh, two nil down from the first leg, going away to Paris. A boatload of injuries. No Pogba. We weren't giving Manchester United a, a snowball in hell's chance. How did they pull this off? <laughs> I think I think uh, that is the million dollar question, uh, Gareth, and and I think uh, Thomas Tuchel and 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 uh, the PSG squad and and president and staff are still wondering how 
how did they manage to lose this? I really think if there was ever a game where a team sabotaged itself to lose a game, that's the, that's it. That is a game. I think I think if you want to talk about I think if you want to talk about how important psychology is in football, that's the game to show to everyone that you mm-hmm. can go into a game winning the 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 the, 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 the away game or the home game whatever oh, two nothing and then come back and literally just have this ghost of the famous remontada from Barcelona plant just going over your head and just kind of just eating you up and eating you up and eating you up right before right before the game because I have a couple of notes uh, and I think we can talk about this for like hours and but I, I want to stay as objective as possible right before the game there were players like Tilo Kerr um, Buffon uh, and others who were interviewed pre-game interviews talking about how you know how do you approach how are you going to approach Manchester United you just you have a nice cushion two nothing away that gives you that gives you a nice cushion how are you going to What's your strategy? What's going to happen? And then every time there was this one question, aren't you worried they might come back like Barcelona did two, three years ago? Aren't you worried they might come back? And these are the players that never lived it. And you have to understand that there are some players in the PSG squad that have lived this, this, this horrendous comeback. So they're already scarred. And then they're asking these questions to Buffon and Thibaut Kerr and others. Like, How are you going to deal with this? What's going to happen? And they kind of just kind of gave us somewhat of an answer, but clearly you could see that they were not, I don't think, they were not prepared, psychologically prepared for this. They didn't block it out of their minds, right? So yeah. that's, that. I think that's, for me, uh, the, 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 biggest, the biggest part and the biggest element and factor in this game, outside of soccer. Yeah, um, you talked about it on the last pod, Tom, which was um, this, or, or you did it, you did it, you were like a ghost, Tom, remember, because you were sick, and you couldn't come on the pod, <laughs> so you were this ghost in the background, and you were saying, PSG might capitulate, PSG might capitulate, <laughs> That's right. That's ooh, right. ooh, because they're scared, because they got these ghosts, he's got these skeletons in the closet, and didn't it come true? Just amazing, and uh, I, I just, I, I just say, I'm just looking at it, the, just the sheer player power. Uh, you know, home advantage, two away goals. I didn't see him getting turned over. I do think United had a little bit of luck on their side. They've got this great feel-good thing going, this momentum. But uh, everybody keeps saying that, and Nick kind of shakes his head and says, "I think Solskjaer deserves a little bit more credit. It's a little bit more than just a feel-good factor." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Look, I, I, yes, uh, but I, I just, I just wanted to like talk about the psychological thing as, as kind of an opener of, of, of our discussion because I honestly think that PSG sabotage itself i honestly think so because thomas tuchel uh you know started the game i i know i he his team played really strongly they were very motivated you know he had this team in a, in a three four two one formation you know especially you know with with marquinhos being that that defensive midfielder that they've been dying to have and you know he's but he wasn't the same marquinhos that he was back in back in old trafford lots of you know control the control the ball possession you know, just dominate the game, they, they, they produce. I mean, the first couple of minutes, I'll go back to it. the first minute, if I could say that, but then after that, we'll, but, you know, very, uh, very positive-minded, right? They, they, they're not going to sit on that 2-0, they're 
win. They're going to very much organize themselves. And on the other hand, Solskjaer, well, look, he had 11 players that were out. Like, either they were injured or suspended for Pogba. But you leave, you're you missing out Pogba, Matic, Herrera, Lingard, Martial. That's a lot of players that you were counting oh, on. Ashley Young started in the midfield. You guys on your bench had numbers like 54, 47, 44, 37. That's a bench that shows that you ain't got much depth, son. Like, that's exactly it. So, so Solskjaer had to go to the academy, ask the kids' parents, can I have them? I'll bring them back for curfew. Can I bring them to bring them, bring them to Paris? And by the way, one of the players, I think it's Greenwood, one of the players from the academy, from SUNM's academy, didn't have his jersey. They didn't have his jersey. So they had to grab a jersey and, and, and go to the PSG store to get the jersey number. And if you look, the, there's a logo of PSG on his, on his jersey. There's a logo uh, on, on the number. So this goes to show that there was no depth. There was, it, was to, that was, it was total insanity. So he started the game with a, with a traditional and flat, very Manchester-y, Manchester United uh, 4-4-2, a flat 4-4-2. Just, you know, just ha- let's, let's just let's – just, Play it safe, corner go play it safe, and just let's use Fred and McTominay and, and Pereira, and let's see how it goes with Lukaku and Rashford. And speaking of Lukaku, goal number one. Lukaku scores after two minutes on a mistake from Tilo Kerrer. He wanted to pass it to Thiago Silva, misjudges, mispasses. Lukaku pounces on it, and Lukaku is going two kilometers an hour, and he still manages to bypass Buffon and score the one goal. And what happens? Either at that moment, PSG can go, we're going to shake it off or we're going to start to be scared. And in that case, they shake it off because they got it together. So that's, that's phase two of the game. They got it together and, and they tied the game, right? So quickly, within, within the first, after that, within the first 10 minutes, they, they tied the game. Everything was fine. But the thing is, after that 1-1, because they thought they were safe and because they were playing at home, what I've noticed is they kind of just – just kind of lowered things as in a step down and they started doing back heel passes, missed passes, showboating because they thought they had it in the bag. And what's, what's the best thing that, that Manchester could have is to see a PhD team that was showboating. So it goes back to the psychological thing of not only being fearing the loss, but also not taking this game seriously and not to be locked in. And that's one thing. And that, that's, I think that's what's going to differentiate uh, that's going to make a difference between players from PSG and teams like Juve and, and, and others that when the players step in the pitch, they're locked in. I mean, what are your thoughts, Nick, on this? Well, see, it's kind of funny because I, I want to touch on all the key players you're talking about, but I almost want to take the opposite view. When you say PSG, their mentality bottled it, I actually think – and God, this kills me. And we have a WhatsApp group, gentlemen, that the viewers – if we showed what I thought of the game on the WhatsApp group after it happened, we would lose our E for everyone status. You know, we'd have parental advisors of the yin yang because I thought I was watching a flashback of some of my worst nightmares, the Ferguson era. Okay. While PSG to me, definitely, I don't think they bottled it per se. I think their overconfidence, like Tom says, got the best of them. But me, it was the mentality of Manchester United to never say die to fight to the end, and that actually comes down to Solskjaer. And I will be the first person to say that I think he's tactically naive in most situations, but he took advantage of Tuchel's ignorance. So let's talk about Tuchel. Okay, so Tuchel changed absolutely nothing from the first game. 
he thought, hey, I'm the genius that figured this out. We're going to play the exact same way. Exact same way to a T with the narrow front three playing between the lines and using the fullbacks to play the wide areas. You know what I mean? Marquinhos, Tom, I'm happy you mentioned him because he doesn't bring creativity whatsoever to the midfield. And when he's not man-marking Pogba, what does he have? Nothing. He's not a midfielder, and it showed in this game. PSG didn't play bad, guys. We, we, we know they didn't play horribly, but honestly, this is what won the game for me. Rashford and Lukaku, I know their goals were huge. Their defensive contribution, all right? You know, Solskjaer actually got them pressing from the front and creating these errors, but also blocking the lanes to the midfield. And, and, and the thing is, is Verratti was the only midfield player that had any creativity, so they were blocking off him. So, so to begin with, you know, that, that was causing the wings to be the area. But what actually blew my mind is minute 14 and minute, I think it was 42. Solskjaer did two tactical adjustments that I didn't think he was capable of. He identified, number one, minute 14, what, what he actually did is he pushed up his midfield to crowd PSG's midfield, which is risky. Man United. Balls to the walls, in your face, positive, want to attack, because that left a bunch of space behind for the creative players like Di Maria and Mbappe to play in. How they didn't capitalize, I'll never know. It's the luck Man United get. It's the cockiness. It's the bravery. It's the never say die. It was Solskjaer taking a crazy risk, and somehow it paid off. And tactic number two that he changed was when he realized the wings uh, it, it took him a game and a half to figure it out. But when he realized the wings were the weaknesses, he he, he put another fullback on and he moved to a back three with fullbacks. And, and what he did is, is he, he identified that threat and nullified it. So Solskjaer, you know what I mean? His, his, his ability to, 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 to kind of recreate this, this iconic mentality that Man United players have that we are invincible has somehow portrayed upon this team that clearly has no association with the Ferguson. But I have three questions, gentlemen, for you that we have to address. Was it a penalty? How big are Rashford's balls for taking it? And lastly, how do you guys feel about this whole away goal thing? Well, look, uh, to answer right before I go to your, to your three questions, uh, to answer your question, I think, I think, yes, I think I agree with you that Solskjaer is bringing back that, that never say that Manchester United attitude. I think, I think that's exactly why they went for him. That's exactly why players are responding to him is because he's bringing that attitude back. But honestly, I, as I, maybe, maybe one can go without the other, but, but given that, given your never say that, and remember in our, in our previous episodes, we, we, we actually said, I don't know what game it was, but we said how Manchester, the first, I think it was the first Manchester United, United game with Solskjaer. We said they played relentlessly. I don't know if you guys remember, but they were relentless. Well, and relentless. It, goes back, it goes back to this, right? Like, so they were relentless in the game. They never gave up, never, never gave up. But look, as much as they were relentless and never gave up, you have to agree that goal number one, Tilo Kara gave it away. Goal number two, Lukaku scores after a fumble from Buffon. You go out and get Buffon on the most critical game, and he pulls that? Like, what did he do? Did he rub his gloves into a soap, bread, a soap bar before, before, he, before he caught that ball? What happened there? And he dropped it. It's 2-2 now. Game is tied. And that's when I think, I honestly think the, the game completely shifted, and that fear from that Barcelona game in Camp Nou totally froze them. And they couldn't do anything. They couldn't come up with anything. And that's how United slowly and slowly and slowly got up. So going back to your goal, is that a penalty? Is that not a penalty? That's, that's the biggest question. But, but the problem is, I think, I honestly think, 
that the question here is 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 taking that question that penalty is taking away from a, a bigger discussion, right? I, I think I think that 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 penalty uh, Mbappe missed a couple of chances he shouldn't have missed. Paris after that that tied game after when after we went two two should have not frozen and have been had been more reactive. Maybe Tuchel had, had had to had to change some of his game plans. So I think way before before that penalty happened, they had many chances. So it's not just a penalty. So it's not just VAR. So it's very easy to say, well, it's VAR. Look, it wasn't a penalty. If it wasn't a penalty, well done to overtime. You can't say that because that's that's an easy blame. And I and 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 I honestly think fans, Paris fans, PSG fans are not even talking about VAR. They're angry at their players because one of them, Kipembe, who actually is the one who Who, who committed the foul with his handball said, you know, one thing we did is we took this game very lightly. That's the problem. You took this game lightly. And and I honestly think that for that 90, that, that those 90 minutes, you didn't produce. So if, if there, if there's a handball and you lose the game on that handball, that's your problem. And if, is there a handball? Yes, it is. His arm was way, was way outside of his body. You're a defense. Everything looks worse when it's slowed down, Tom. It's got to be clear and obvious. It's, that wasn't a clear and obvious penalty. His arm was I, – I, anyway, but you make a great point, and I don't want to ruin your point because, truthfully, Tom, we shouldn't talk about this penalty. No, no, no it's, it's, it's fine. Look, look, and I mean, look, there, was, there, was, there, will, there will always be and forever be a debate on this one. But, again, it shouldn't have come down to this penalty. You're one to nothing at Old Trafford. You should be managing this game. You sh- it shouldn't come down to a 90-second-minute penalty. And then you have Buffon, again, who you went out and got from Juve, a legend, thinking that you're going to win the Champions League thanks to Buffon. And he doesn't stop it. Not only he fumbles, but he doesn't stop a ball facing a 20-year-old kid who, who just just smacks it. Like, this is ridiculous. So PSG, I'm, I'm actually glad this had happened to PSG because they got to get a hold of themselves and figure some things out. This club right now is ran by a bunch of brats, starting with Neymar, who for the last three years is going away for the Rio Carnival of Rio and comes back and is watching the game. He turned he, they turned him into a meme this year. So it's just it's it's things need to be cleared up and cleaned up. PSG needs a general manager to support Tuchel to help him out with with some of the some of these some of these decisions. The club needs a major cleanup. And 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 this loss, yes, it's terrible psychologically. It's going to be very, very heavy, especially for the Marquinhos and the Thiago Silva and others who have suffered a second comeback of that sort. Uh, and, but 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 again, it should not come down to this penalty for PSG to win or to lose this game. This is uh, for me. For me, it's a, it's a not even a question. But, but but kudos kudos to 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 my boy Rashford who had the courage, had the courage and ice in his veins. To, 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 to shoot and he he did not go very he didn't go softly either he went straight like he shot it like a rocket and against Buffon can you imagine against Buffon in an away game phenomenal phenomenal yeah um couple of things yeah I I totally agree was it was it a, it was a soft penalty but it, it shouldn't matter and it's not the talking point in my in my book um To me, it was character against cartoons. PSG are like a bunch of cartoons to me, man. Like uh, characters versus cartoons. You know, Solskjaer, not to hire upon it too much, but what a job. Whether it's him or or there was some kind of brain trust that just said, look, we're going to evoke the bringing 96-y back. Wow. Wow. Oh, my God. So, 
I mean, they just, you know. <laughs> no, no, I want that. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, but no, seriously, though, guys, it, it's genius. If if there's some kind of brain trust in the background that's saying, look, you know, let's get, like, Solskjaer with Cantona and uh, Ferguson for a selfie, like, who is doing this? Like, this marketing machine is genius. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and that's a great point, Gary. That's a, I'm so glad you brought it up, and that's the difference. That's the difference between PSG and Man United. Man United, for this critical game, they brought in their legends. They brought in Ferguson and Cantona and others. Who did PSG brought, bring? Lady Gaga, and I don't know who <laughs> else. Like, they, that, that's what I'm saying. This is, this, this is it. The players needed support. They brought their legends, so when they look to the stand, they see Alex Ferguson and Cantona, Pretty much, you know, threaten them that if they don't win this game, they're gonna he's gonna kill them. You're gonna win this game. But PSG they didn't invite Rai or George Weah or Leonardo or some of these legends that played, you know, Ibra that bring these legends, pay their tickets, have them sit down so they can support the team. They didn't. They bring these showbiz. So I 100% agree with you that it's show business, it's 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 cartoons and it's institutions. It's the club. It's the crest above everything. And that's why PSG will need to grow up and step up if they want to win the Champions League. Beautifully said. Um, I just want to close uh, this this uh, this part by just saying I was really happy for – I felt a little bit for Buffon, to be honest. Like, yeah, you're saying this, you know – legendary keeper being beaten by a blasted shot from a, from a child. But the other side of that is 40-year-old who never did win the Champions League, desperately hoping that he can. And that chance may have slipped through his slippery gloves at this point. Uh, I thought Marcus Rashford, I think it's brilliant for England to see him stepping up. Uh, and, you know, that he took the team on his shoulders in that moment. And I think that was absolutely fantastic to see. And I also want to say Lukaku, you know, he's he's been much maligned. I think, you know, he came in during the Mourinho era. He's been a streaky striker. He's always... He's always fighting this battle of proving himself to be a, an elite level striker. Is he? Isn't he? These are the moments that are going to elevate into you know that status. So hopefully he can he can have some more uh, big nights in Europe like this. All right. Well, since we're we're talking about uh, Gigi Buffon, let's talk about his uh, the club that he used to play for uh, and that was also taking part in the Champions League round of 16. I'm talking about Juve, and they were facing Atletico Madrid. Atletico uh, won uh, the first game uh, back in Madrid 2-0, and now uh, they're, uh, they were playing in Turin. Uh, Juventus was a, a do-or-die uh, game for Juve. Uh, we were kind of expecting to see a, uh, Atletico playing defensively, as they usually do, and Juve had to come and try to figure out a way to break, uh, break the lock, and who's better than... Uh, Arsène Lupin himself, Cristiano Ronaldo, picking that lock not only once but three times with a hat trick. Uh, and again, uh, contentious. We can have a conversation and discussion on the, how he scored one of, uh, especially the third goal there with the penalty. But Ronaldo qualifies Juve, winning the game three nothing, and Juve is off to the quarterfinals. Gareth, what are your thoughts on this one? All right, guys, three words for you: C R seven. All right, that's two, le- <laughs> that's two letters and a number, but you know what I'm getting at. Uh, listen, this is what they pay the big bucks for. This is why I've been saying since the very start that Juventus are my pick for the Champions League this season because they were a very good team with some you know, staunch defenders, a great coach. 
uh, lots of creativity. Syria is, you know, enough of a test to kind of keep them going, but not something that they're going to lose. So they, they know they can kind of coast a little bit and they want to win the Champions League. They added Cristiano Ronaldo for nights like this. It looked like it could be a lost cause because if you go 2-0 down to a Diego Simeone side, that's a hell of a long way back. And I don't think, uh, other than having Cristiano Ronaldo in, in the team, that they could have done it. At the same time, Atleti, cowardly boys. They didn't, they didn't offer anything going forward. I guess it was predictable that they would do this, but they sat on that two-goal lead and they ended up losing. Uh, there was a physical mismatch uh, with Juan Fran uh, time and again uh, with Ronaldo. Um, but guys, it's the Ronaldo motivation factor above everything to me. You know, determined not to go out to Real's bitter rivals. You know, there's that history, the 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 Madrid background. I mean, just think about all the factors that were feeding Cristiano Ronaldo's motivation. You know, it's 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 the former rivals of of, of Real. It's I came here to Juventus to get them their Champions League. It's all the money that's been paid. It's all of those things coming to a head. And the best in the world, they step up when they're given that stage. He was determined uh, to drag them through by, by the bootlaces. Guys, I went to, like, you know, Juve beat Napoli a few days ago. Napoli looked the better team, you know. Um, and you kind of got this through, these reports in, in the uh, Italian media that Ronaldo's frustrated, you know, frustrated with the way that they're playing, feeling that they need to be looking to score that way that Real Madrid always did when he was in the team. And uh, they did it. They did it this time and they got the result. Uh, I want to mention Mandzukic. I thought Mandzukic was sort of the perfect foil um, because, you know, the, those defenders had to deal with two sort of big physical aerial threats in uh, him and Ronaldo. Uh, and that was that really kind of, you know, sort of divide and conquer and give Ronaldo the, the ability to, to get in there and get among the goals. But guys, i got to talk, you know, we talk time and again about Cristiano and, and Lionel Messi. This Cristiano is undoubtedly the king of the Champions League. We're talking most ever goals, most ever goals from free kicks, most headers, most braces, most hat-tricks in the Champions League. He is the Champions League ghost. He's clutch. When you're in that game, when you're in danger of going out, uh, you know what, he's, he's going to step up and get it done for you. That's what they paid the money for. Um, on the other side, Simeone, um, they might not have the same financial clout as, as, a, as a Real or a Barcelona or Atletico, but at the end of the day, they still spend $100 million more than the next nearest competitors in La Liga. They're not a small club. They've got creative goal scorers, Costa, Griezmann, Morata, they can attack, is my point, boys, but they didn't. They defended. They did the Simeone way. It's like we got two goals. We're going to go in there. We're going to just defend this lead. They were narrow. They got exploited. They got Ronaldo'd, and they're out. Listen, I, I, I think this actually comes down to three factors. And let me use a little bit of imagery for you, okay? I think that Simeone and Allegri both had Ferraris, and they were at the starting line and they wanted to race now Simeone had a Ferrari behind him but never took it out of second gear you know what I mean well Allegri finally found the keys to his Ferrari that he was missing last match and that key had to be Ronaldo but listen gentlemen while I can't dispute that Ronaldo 
Ronaldo's the goat, right? And, and I think by now our listeners know how we approach these pods. And maybe it's because I'm, I'm probably the worst player out of all three of us. And I've never been a great player of the game, but I've also always admired the team. I've always admired the manager. And while I do agree that Cristiano Ronaldo is very key to this, I think that it was more of a team effort from Juventus than people are giving it credit to. First of all, you know, let's just brush over it extremely quickly. Atletico, while I think Simeone's the man, and I'll be the first one to admit he's amazing, but I, I, I'm starting to think that he's maybe a one-trick pony gentleman because there was zero intent to adapt. Not one tactical change throughout the entire game. There was zero intent to attack. He remained extremely narrow to the point that Allegri finally figured some stuff out. And, and, and Gareth, I know, I know you're, you're frustrated with this, but I remember watching this entire game and going, just drop a f- midfielder, okay? <laughs> you got to bring the B button out again. You got to bring the B button out. Drop a midfielder to help deal with Ronaldo and the, the numbers. Like, I don't know how no one else can see. Gareth, I know you were just as frustrated as me. Yeah, absolutely, because there's no need of it. That's the thing. You, you've got the players... You know, you can you can at least try to score a goal. It was always playing with fire. And I know Tom mentioned earlier that the atmosphere uh, in the stadium was just, you know, insane. And that 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 12th man, you know, maybe 13th man, because I think personally Ronaldo counts as two. <laughs> but that really that's a lot to overcome it. You know, two goals. Well, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but it's a dangerous lead to have. You know, because when they do get one goal, then all of a sudden, what are you going to do? Are you going to continue to try and defend or are you going to try and attack? I think they needed to get a goal. I think they always needed to get a goal in this game, but they never showed any intent to do that. And when you've got guys like, you know, Griezmann and and, uh, Morata, like they have the ability to unlock defenses. They have the ability to make the net bulge. For God's sake, try to score a goal. And, And the thing is, too, is that Juventus invited that pressure. Uh, Allegri must have listened to our podcast, gentlemen, because he did exactly what we said. He clearly worked on the training ground on how to attack. And I was actually quite impressed with how Allegri finally, for the first time that I can remember, really showed adapting to an attacking thing. Because listen, we said attack, attack, attack. He did, gentlemen. He played a 3-2-5. That's right. He had five forwards at all times. There was no fullbacks. There was just wingers, two inside forwards, and a striker. And the thing is, is that he worked on the training ground. He must have worked on how to exploit these half spaces that are created by that compact uh, uh, Atletico. And, and what was fantastic is the keys to his Ferrari, Ronaldo. Ronaldo was the difference maker because he was told, don't stay static. Go out on the left, make Arias look ridiculous, start to break down that defensive shape. Then you know what? Go in the middle of Mandzukic. And feed off those 38 crosses, you beautiful beast. The both of them are gigantic. You know, they made Jimenez and Godin, who are fantastic aerial defenders, you know, they gave them a hard time. And you know what? Ronaldo was so key because at times the runs and the pestering Ronaldo would do would actually allow Matuidi to step up and make it six attackers. Listen, there was four players defending. All you needed to do was try to find an out ball to counterattack but no Simeone never adapted never saw anything you know what I mean and Allegri has cojones he's the one he took he took Simeone's balls and he he's the one who just decided to attack because listen when when the game was tied at 2-2 he easily could have went to extra time and penalties but no Allegri and his big cojones he took a defensive player off and added another attacking player on in Dybala, which helped create the penalty to score the goal. You know, listen, 
Allegri deserves tons of credit. He's he 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 took a big risk, one that I think Simeone easily could have exploited, and you know made made this whole game null and void. But Allegri did attack. So I think uh, I, I agree. I agree with you guys. I, I think I think if I can summarize this is I think uh, the difference between Allegri and Simeone is that Allegri learned his lessons, learned from his losses. Uh, in the Champions League, whereas Simeone just used the same recipe and hoping that it will, again, catch on. And the thing is, Allegri figured him out. Let's not forget, and, and I, I want to go back to, yes, Ronaldo just, uh, Gareth, you're right, God mode you know, level, that's for sure. But, you know, you cannot take away the, the beautiful work from, from Cancelo on one end and Spinazzola from the other and Bernardeschi. Bernardeschi just did a phenomenal job. He's been tremendous. Uh, you know, he was active. He was, you know, he was... But the thing is, again, they were hungry. You could see when they were playing the Champions League anthem, they were not smiling and looking around. They were so focused. They were in the bubble. They were in their zone. The entire game, they were hungry. And, and to go back to Nick's point, after tying, they didn't kind of step away and say, look, let's, let's, let's just pull something, somebody out, and let's bring in a defensive midfielder. Let's just kind of keep it safe until the penalty shootout. No, they said, let's, let's just go for it. Let's go for the kill because we've got the crowd, because we've got the player. I think I think last year's Allegri or two years ago's Allegri would have made that decision and say, you know what, let's just kind of you know take it easy. Let's bring the Kadira. Let's bring somebody else. Let's put a Kadira around. Let's just make sure we control the midfield. Let's just kind of coast through this. So I think that I 100% agree with you, Nick. I, I, think, I think Allegri stepped up. I think he's learned from his lessons. I think Simeone um, played it way too safe. He didn't offer anything. He, they were not. They were not positive. They were not positive in their play. Uh, you know, Griezmann played more defensive as more of a defensive midfielder position than anything else. Um, so yeah. So I, I think they kind of let Juve. And at first, Juve was kind of uh, predictable as well. A lot of crosses for Mandzukic, for Ronaldo, for Bernardeschi. Uh, you know, from from the left, either from the right or the right. So they had to kind of kind of mix it up. And, and when they were coming and actually keeping the ball on the ground and, and attacking and getting into the box, that's when things got heated. And I think that's when Allegri said, okay, well, if we crowd the box enough, something will happen. So clearly that was, that was a game changer. How easy is that? You know what I mean? It, it, it's fundamentals. How easy is it for you to take – you don't need a 4-4-2 to crowd the – how easy is it to for Simeone, someone of his tactical knowledge, to just say – all right, I'm going to take someone from the midfield. You're going to drop back. We're going to have a back five. Crowding the box and give us a numerical advantage of some sort. I just can't believe how tactically naive he was, how, how, how he added zero, zero value. Because even his shouting and intimidation clearly didn't work because I've never seen Godin and Jimenez so scared. And, and I think also the fact that it wasn't Felipe Luis or, or Hernandez and it was Juan Juan and Arias. Like they were not. I mean, Juan Juan looks like he needs a, a couple of protein bars in his body and a bottle of water and he needs to stop smoking. The guy looks like he's about to just collapse on the field. But look, he they and, and Juve saw that and they were just taking advantage of the of, of, of the wings, just go and bomb these crosses. And Thomas Lemar wasn't producing as as, as, as he's expected to do. So they were so worried on the, on, on the wings and on the sides that I think the, 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 the center backs were just trying to, trying to you know, fix and trying to avoid any damage. So he got, I think Simeone got too comfortable in his, in his two, two nothing win at, in Madrid going into Turin. And, and look, I, I want to say something. Ronaldo, yes, he scored three goals, but before, at the end of the, the game, when they lost two nothing, 
uh, I'm sure our, our listeners have seen this or on social media or whatever. He kind of he went to the media and pointed his his five fingers as those I got five Champions League uh, uh, trophies. Atletico got nothing. And then the day before the game, the media said, "What are your thoughts?" He said, "I we need everyone in Turin to think positively. We will come back." He said, "We will come back." And I think there's no other player. If a player one day says, "I will come back," I think he's the guy. He's the guy that I will always believe. And fun fact. And that's my last comment. Fun fact about Ronaldo, he's got 123 goals in the Champions League. That's five more than Atletico in their own, a whole history to show that how he is crushing it. Incredible, incredible. Ronaldo is God. Uh, you know, Allegri has Simeone's cojones and a jar <laughs> under his bed. <laughs> and, uh, the, the only other thought that I have from this is Simeone's kind of in inverse Sarri, isn't he? When you think about it, it's like he doesn't have anything else to go to, but he plays it all defensively and tight versus Sarri's kind of all out, you know, fluid attack. Get yeah, whatever dig on Chelsea. Can. Those, I love it, Garrett. I love it. Those guys should get together, man, and, and coach a team. They'd be unstoppable. <laughs> All right, so that wraps up our, our three up front look at the three uh, top fixtures, uh, if you want to put it that way, from this round of Champions League last 16 second leg games. Guys, we we should mention, we we, we came in to record the, the pod here on a Wednesday evening. We just about managed to have a look at some highlights from the, the games that were played today. Liverpool uh, blowing away. I, I said it could happen. I said Liverpool could go to the Allianz and that they could overturn uh, Bayern. Uh, they did so uh, three goals to one. Uh, from what I saw, a couple of goals from Mane, a, a towering header from Van Dijk. But I think, you know, the point being um, to go to, to that arena and get that kind of a, a result, especially where people have been talking about, you know, Liverpool are going to put their, their focus on the Premier League and, you know, are they going to be able to sort of keep fighting on both fronts? I think, you know, to have kept pace with City on the weekend and then gone to Germany and, and pulled off a result like that against Bayern, props to him, man. I think that's a, that's a fantastic result. Over at Camp Nou, guys, uh, it was a case of anything Ronaldo can do, you know, Messi's not too far behind. Uh, Barca pulling off a 5-1 victory. It kind of felt like we talked last time it was going to be a bit of a tall order for Lyon to go to uh, to Barcelona and get a result out of it. Two goals uh, for Messi, including, well, they were both spectacular. One was a, a Penenka penalty that only Messi could pull off. It was fantastic. Uh, he also danced around the defence and, and slotted past the keeper for his uh, his second goal. Coutinho among the goals, he's been much maligned lately, so kind of nice to see him stepping up. Piquet and Dembele with the other goals, kind of blowing Leon away in the end. In, in that game, uh, the penalty was a self-provoked penalty from the one and only Suarez. So uh, I'll keep my comment uh, PG on, about him, but uh, but we're uh, allowed uh, only so many bleeps an episode, right, Dal? Yeah, that's right. We're, we've reached a quota of bleeps. We've expired. We've used out of our bleeps, so we're just gonna keep it for the next episode. But uh, 
Again, I'm not surprised that Suarez is pulling these kind of stunts. Uh, he's a despicable pl player. And, uh, and, 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 and a few minutes after that, uh, Lyon's goalkeeper, Anthony Lopez, got injured. So he had to be subbed uh, by a player who was not even a star. He, doesn't, he plays a, only a few games. And here he is <laughs> playing, uh, playing a game at Camp Nou uh, with a team uh, that's already losing 1-0 or 2 nothing at that stage. So uh, not surprised about the result. It's just it's very unfortunate for Lyon to start a game with a non-VAR reviewed penalty, and after losing their goalkeeper, I think they they started really in the, on the wrong foot. And once once you're once uh, once you start losing that way, once damage is done against Barca in Camp Nou, it was very very hard to come back. In some of the other games, Spurs finished off Dortmund. Who else but Harry Kane with a goal in Germany uh, to see Tottenham through. Uh, really dramatic one over in Portugal, guys. Uh, Porto 3, Roma 1. Uh, that ended up being a 4-3 a uh, aggregate win with a 117th minute penalty, I think. And uh, finally, Manchester City 7, Schalke 0. Uh, I don't think we really want to dwell on that too much. Other than to say, I know Schalke is a team that's struggling a little bit in the Bundesliga, but should any team be getting spanked 7-0 in the last 16 of the Champions League? Yeah, that, that, that was a pretty big uh, scoreline. That's a good question, Gareth. You know, I, I, I don't know because... Um, you know, it, it could be. Look, I mean, look at look at what happened to Lyon losing five to one. I remember uh, Barca losing. Uh, it was an aggregate score, but they lost on a seven nothing an aggregate score against Bayern Munich a couple couple of years ago, right? They lost four to three nothing and then four nothing. So it was just they they. I think I think again. I, I think when when the game doesn't go a certain way um, in the beginning of the game, then you lose, you start losing confidence and it just rains on you, especially a team like Manchester City. Uh, it's 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 interesting to see how they won this game seven nothing when they they won the 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 the, uh, the, uh, the away game uh, three two so clearly they fixed a couple of things defensively and they made they managed to score these goals I think it's great it's good for their strikers confidence and it keeps the the Premier League's title race interesting right both Liverpool and City winning their games uh, and moving on and their their players scoring even though in Liverpool's case it's more Van Dyke uh, scoring a goal. I know Mane scored two goals, but Van Dyke also scoring. So, uh, and based on the reviews, I don't think Firmino was doing too great either. But, uh, but again, it, it keeps the title race very interesting. Yeah, four out of eight teams remaining in the Champions League are English teams. Every one of them going through, as I predicted, boldly in the last pod. <laughs> don't like to toot my own horn too much. I do like to toot my own horn. <laughs> And uh, I'm I'm just really pleased because you know these things, it kind of it swings and roundabouts over the years of you know we, there was a sort of a patch where English teams just weren't getting through to the latter stages of the Champions League. So uh, I'm enjoying seeing that being a, a, a an English man and a, a and a big Premier League fan. Being a purist, someone that loves the continent, uh, Gareth. Uh, listen, I got to tell you, and Tom, maybe you can back me up on this. My worst fears of the money finally catching up to England is happening. They have the money. They can buy the best players. They can get the best managers. I uh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about all four uh, English teams going through, to be honest with you. Well, I think you'd feel better if one of those English teams was Arsenal, Nick, first of all. 
But <laughs> uh, plus, I probably don't have much insight to add to this because I'm too busy watching the less cool version of the Champions League on Thursday nights. Is there another <laughs> one? Is there another European competition of some kind? They, it's like a, it's like a friendly kickabout all around the world. It's fun. Fair enough. Um, I feel like yeah, it's interesting. I I think one of the biggest things with the Premier League, and you know, we won't get too deep on this right now. Maybe it's a, a subject for another pod. But I think that the quality throughout the league is just you know that much better than the the you know when I look at Ligue 1 and La Liga in particular, Syria to some degree as well. And, you know, Germany even, like, the, but top to bottom, on any given Saturday, one of those top four teams can lose to a team low down the table. I mean, look at Tottenham's last couple of results. I'm sure you've really enjoyed those, Nate. You know, uh, Burnley, uh, Southampton beating Spurs. I, it just doesn't happen. That does not happen in La Liga, you know. And I think that quality throughout the league is is perhaps something... Uh, that plays into feeds into sort of just making them more these English teams a little bit more robust sometimes. Interesting, interesting to look at. All right, now let's move on to the next segment of our show, and it's yellow card, red card. I'm happy we're bringing this back, gentlemen. It's been a few weeks since we've had our signature segment back on here, the one that uh, got uh, you know uh, Atlantic Canada fame for uh, for Tom and I. <laughs> <laughs> the one that started it all. The one that started it all. That's right. So for those of you who are not familiar with the concept, uh, yellow card, red card uh, is a little uh, time we, we take on our, on, our, on our show to uh, dish out a yellow card to uh, a player or team, uh, federation or anyone that we want uh, as, a, as a warning, as a, hey, stop doing what you're doing, uh, get a word of caution and hand out a, a red card uh, for anyone, any team or anything uh, to say, we need to stop this, you need to quit it and get out of the pitch and go home. You're drunk. So, uh, so uh, this week I have a yellow card. Uh, I know you boys are locked and ready for to dish out a red card, but I have a yellow card I want to I want to give out, and it's and it's to PSG, uh, not for their for their horrible horrendous game they, and, and and demonstration they pulled out and and uh, at the Parc des Princes, but for the fact that in the stands were Patrice Evra and Paul Pogba watching the game and when Marcus Rashford scored a goal Patrice Evra had his Instagram or video uh, account um, going on and he recorded himself and as you know as you may know there's a saying in PSG it's called ici c'est Paris uh, and ici c'est Paris means you know here it's Paris and it's it's their it's their motto it's their it's their you know statement and Patrice Evra started yelling, ici, c'est Ma- Manchester. So, ici, c'est Manchester. So, here, this is Manchester. And he started yelling it and yelling. And Pogba was shouting because they were sitting in the presidential box area. And they were getting chirped all game by PSG fans or PSG people. So, of course, if you get, if you get chirped, you're going to chirp back. And what a best way to get a 90-second minute penalty uh, goal that wins you the game. So, they turns around and films it. Well, my yellow card goes to PSG because PSG filed a complaint against Patrice Evra for that video. <laughs> and Patrice Evra actually released a video. And I really I recommend everyone to go on Patrice Evra's Instagram. And he actually he releases a video. He's actually a video where he starts – he spends an entire two minutes laughing. And he's <laughs> like, why? Like, why would you do this? Like, you, like you should – PSG should just shut down for a week – 
I gotta yeah. get their stuff together here. Like this is so pitiful to kind of just go and 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 and, and complain and file a complaint to UFA about about Patrice Evra, retired player, and then Patrice Evra is like, what's gonna happen to me? You think UFA is gonna come and change my password on my iPhone and stop me from from posting <laughs> Instagram videos? I mean, come on, guys, be be an adult. So it goes back again to cartoons, you know, cartoons and characters, you know. So that's, I think that's what it is. Uh, PSG needs to kind of grow up in all sense and all ways and in various ways in the club. And that's one of them. If, if, if they want people to take them seriously, they need to start to act like, like adults and stop complaining. Yeah. I agree. You want to talk about cards? We need to see PSG's ID because I, I just don't think they're of age. I, I think they need to <laughs> mature a little bit, you know. And and come back when the balls have dropped, and we might consider taking them seriously. <laughs> Gareth, what's your what's your red card for uh, for this episode? Well, it's an unfortunate one, guys, and I don't I don't like to give it too much airtime, really. But it's for the Egypt that ran on the pitches uh, over the the course of last weekend. Uh, there there was in and it's particularly unsavory incident in the. Uh, the Birmingham Derby between Birmingham and Aston Villa, Birmingham fan running on the field, sucker punching uh, Villa captain Jack Grealish from behind. It was absolutely terrible. Uh, the guy just, I, you know, I, I, I hope that he just never gets to go to a soccer game again. I hope he does jail time for it. That's what he deserves. It's cowardly. It's assault. And uh, there's no place for it in the game. And unfortunately, there were a couple of other incidences o- over the weekend where uh, where fans, so-called fans, like they don't deserve to be called that, idiots got onto the pitch. We don't want to see it. So uh, big red card for that idiot. I agree. I know, Gareth, uh, at the beginning of the pod, before we started recording, I said that was my red card as well. Now, something else we need to take a second to notice is that as he sucker punched Grealish, this, 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 this fan from Birmingham, the crowd roared. They encouraged him. This this weird tribal mob mentality. So here's my question for the both of you uh, before we go into extra time. Um, how do you stop this from the game? Well, I'll, I mean, first of all, you know, context is important. The Birmingham Derby is one of the more sort of um, distasteful type derbies in terms of, you know, there's, there is rivalry. It's not always friendly rivalry between the two clubs. Uh, you know, Villa have experienced a lot more relative success over the in, in modern history than, than Birmingham, though Birmingham is quite a big club. Um I don't know how you get it out of the game. It's difficult because it, it is, and it's very important always with an incident like this to say that it's a minority, it's a foolish minority. Uh, most fans in the stadiums are, are well-behaved these days, thankfully, and uh, it's tough because you can't have a marshal for every fan. You know, so how, how are we going to, and it's remarkably easy to get on the pitch and you don't want to be in one of these situations like, you know, down in Argentina where, where you've got giant cages separating fans from the field. You don't want that. But at the same time, the safety of the players, you know, it's paramount. They're, they're you know, professionals who are on the field, you know, for the most part, displaying their skills. Uh, they don't deserve to be assaulted. I, don't, I do want to say, uh, just in closing for my part, I want to uh, credit Jack Grealish, Jack Grealish, because 
Uh, he's not always had the best of reputations, Jack. He's, you know, he's still a young man. He's only 23, 24, uh, very talented, no doubt. And he's not made, you know, he's made some questionable decisions so far in his young life. And uh, that can happen when, when... One of which is almost signing for Tottenham. Well, one of which was almost signing for Tottenham. Uh, didn't react, you know, kind of left it off. Went up the other end and, and scored a, a winning goal. Captained his team to a victory. I saw him in the press conference after and when they tried to ask him about it, whether whether he was just caught up in the experience of scoring the winner in, in, in the Birmingham derby, which is quite a big deal for him because he is a Villa lad. Um, but he didn't actually, even... He didn't actually, even respond yeah. to that side of the question. He just he just said this was a crazy day for me, you know, scoring the winner in the Birmingham Derby as the captain. That's that's fantastic. And I thought that he he grew he grew a little bit in my estimation and probably a lot of a lot of people's estimations over that weekend. Yeah, he said it was the greatest day of his life. And if you watch the extended interview, he said the second greatest day of his life was not signing for Tottenham. Anyway, gentlemen, so that ends red card, yellow card, and uh, I think guys, it's time for extra time. Okay, and we're into extra time. I've got a bit of a Charlie horse in my right calf. So uh, I'm going to let Nick run with this one. (laughs) Listen, uh, uh, (laughs) so once again, we want to thank you, the listeners, for getting in touch on our Facebook page uh, through your front podcast or on our Twitter through your front podcast. Uh, We're going to try something a little different this time, gentlemen. We we, we, we don't want to talk as much. During next time, we want to give you the platform to talk to the listeners. So what I'm going to do is we are going to take some excellent viewer questions and 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 uh, foreshadow what we're going to place on the Facebook page and get your interaction. So for our next question that we are going to put on the page, gentlemen, uh, is a question, a listener question from Yako who asks us, who is the most overrated player in the EPL? I think this is a fantastic question, one that will give us a little bit of time to digest. He himself says David Luiz. Uh, listen, I think a lot of Chelsea fans might say that after the season he's having here. So, uh, we'll make sure to post that on the page. Thank you, Yako. Thank you, all the other listeners who have gotten in touch and interacted. We're going to try to continue to be as interactive as possible on the page. So, while I, I, I want to agree with Yako in thinking that David Luiz is the most overrated player, I'm going to set the tone right now, gentlemen. Uh, it's going to be Eric Dyer for me, not just because he's a Spurs uh, player. I just think that he lacks the ability to be a good ball-winning midfielder, and he also lacks the creativity to be a ball-playing centre-back. Uh, look, uh, I, I kind of agree with Yako on the, on the David Luiz thing. I, I, I'm, I'm hearing pundits say that David Luiz is so great when it comes to long passes, as long as he's got enough space and enough time to, to pass. And it's like, well, anyone can do this, so it's not really a great of a, of a skill. I have to go with Mesut Ozil. I think I think he's way overrated. Uh, you know, I, I think I think he's carrying on this this clout from from the World Cup in 2014 and his time at Real. He's not producing. He's not consistent. He's uh, he was Arsene Wenger's teacher's pet. He 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 took advantage of of uh, Wenger's love for him, and he's not producing on the pitch. Uh, for me, he's overrated. That's a good answer. I also think Luis is uh, a good call. Uh... And I'm going to pick on Arsenal as well and say Henrik Mkhitaryan. And I don't know if it's overrated so much. It's just damn disappointing. I just felt like, because he was like Bundesliga player of the year. So I know he's got it in him, but I just don't ever feel like I've seen that in a Man United shirt, in an Arsenal shirt. There's been glim- glimpses of it. And I think for me, it's just, I, I, I'm just frustrated because I feel like there's more there. So maybe it's not overrated so much as it is. Just a bit disappointing. So, listeners, we're going to throw back to you. We'll post on the page. Tell us who you think is the most overrated English Premier League player. Once again, you can get in touch with us 
on our Facebook page, Three Upfront. But gentlemen, that is all we have for today. I want to take a second to thank uh, Worst Nightmare for providing us with the soundtrack, uh, Finding It Harder, that begins this beautiful podcast and ends it as well. Gareth, Tom, always a pleasure. Thanks very much, boys. Uh, Good game, good game. Cheers. Cheers.